This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Hello, this is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Coming to you again from our podcast, Leading from the Front. And today uh, I'm with an individual who made a transition, one of those big transitions in life from chief marketing officer to CEO. And we want to talk to her today about that transition and some of her experiences both at MedFusion, her present company, and some of her past organizations that she's worked with. And I'd like to welcome today, Kim LeBeau. So good morning, Kim. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Gary. How are you? I am terrific. And uh, Kim, uh, thanks for uh, getting through all the technical stuff. Uh, that's the fun of uh, some of these podcasts sometimes is you got to work through those little issues. But I would think that uh, a little issue like a technology problem would be something you're used to uh, dealing with every day. That is um, very true, both internally in the business as well as we support our, our thousands of customers on our technologies every day. There's always something that comes up. So what is MedFusion's technology, Kim? So MedFusion is a company that provides a communication platform between physician providers and their patients. So we've been doing this for almost 20 years before anybody really was thinking about communicating electronically mm. um, between providers and patients back before the federal government mandated that that be something that providers offer to their patients. And so we let patients do things like book appointments and request prescription re re renewals, pay their bills, ask questions, do online visits, et cetera, all through their phone or their computer. So wow, this is so. This is technology that supports the whole healthcare process. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. So, have you been uh, in the healthcare industry for a long time? I have been in healthcare technology for most of my career, which has been a long one. <laughs> well, let's talk about that a little bit. We don't have to talk about years. Just uh, okay. <laughs> let's talk about experience. Where Where'd you come from? So, yeah, my history in healthcare technology is pretty long. Um, I've been in healthcare technology for quite some time. Started back in the mid-90s with a company called Versus that made one of the very first electronic uh, health records back before anybody knew what an electronic health record was or what a, a patient portal was. I spent a lot of years um, in healthcare technology, got out of it for a little bit to, to broaden my, my knowledge of different industries, and then came back into to healthcare interestingly enough, into MedFusion, which is the company that I'm in now, but in a different version of, of MedFusion. So I, I came in and ran marketing and product management and inside sales in 2008 for mm. um, MedFusion. We were subsequently sold to Intuit. I left at that point and worked at a number of other 
companies in the healthcare industry, Navinets, which does payer provider communications, Zermed, which was primarily a revenue cycle healthcare company. And then it took me full circle back here to MedFusion in late 2015, where I joined as vice president of product management and marketing. Okay. So in all that experience, how has that uh, gone from different companies and actually being in and out of MedFusion uh, once, how does that serve you in, in leading this company today? So every company is different, of course. And, you know, I tend to like the smaller organizations. I like private companies versus public companies. Hmm. Um, so there's some trends there that I do. I've kind of stayed, you know, under the probably $150 million, $200 million company size in terms of being able to really make an impact when you're in companies that are that size um, or smaller. But every every one of those, even with those similarities, everyone is, is different and it certainly has provided an exposure to different market segments, different leadership styles, different management teams on each of those companies. I was either vice president of marketing and product management or chief marketing officer, um, SVP of product management. So always in the marketing and product management realm and, you know, sitting on the management team, but you learn a lot working with different executives and working for different CEOs that I've tried to take, you know, what I've really appreciated and liked as an individual human and also as a leader and removed the things that I did not like um, or appreciate as an individual or a leader in this role here. Yeah, so let's uh, break that down a little bit. I think that as we all go through our careers, we look at stuff that people do and say, yeah, I want to be like that or no, I don't want to be like that. What exactly have you, first of all, I I like to talk about, what did you eliminate? What did you look at? And you said, yeah, I'm not going to be that way because that leader is not consistent with the kind of leader I want to be. So what did I eliminate? I eliminated politics. And I eliminated a lack of what I consider to be integrity and fairness and equality across and just how people treat people, you know, yeah. in, a, in a negative way. And those things are, have always been really, really important to me and really frustrating to me as well. And when I took this job, I met with every, every single person in the, in the company. We were relatively small. We still are about 75 people. And um, I, I told them that I wanted to make a business, build a business here in, in a culture that was what I wanted it to be in every other company that I worked for. And, and I worked for really great companies and with really great people. But there was always, you know, something maybe that I looked at and said, hmm, I don't feel like that's that's right. And, you know, we need, we need to, to consider, you know, everybody when we're considering this decision. So those are some of the things I I eliminated, I guess, the, the the lack of, of that kind of a focus and, um, and a sole, you know, revenue focus, which I have worked for organizations where the CEOs top three goals were revenue, revenue, revenue. And while that is uber important and it is, you know, king, so to speak. It can't be at the expense of everything else. Yeah. So one of the things that in in all things that we do at Stateris, we talk about compassionate accountability and really what you're talking about here is this balance between the human side and the business side, right? Yes. We have to to generate revenue because it's a capitalistic country and we need to make money and that's okay. Because if we don't make money, people lose jobs. Yep. And plus, 
for the things that you're doing in healthcare, it's not just losing jobs, but there's services that you offer in healthcare that you think are better than other people. So you're serving your constituency with patients and doctors and helping people get their medical information. So there's, there's a service there. And it's interesting as you talk, and you talked about your parents and you talked about healthcare and you talked about, there's a underlying word here that, that struck me. And it's a word of service that you seem to be focused, your, your, your value of service, service to others, service to your employees, service to each other, that that's an important value of yours as a leader. Yeah, I guess I honestly never defined it that way or maybe thought of it that way, but I would like, as we are, growing the business, you know, we've done acquisitions, we've restructured the business, I've had to make some hard decisions in leadership, folks on the leadership team that that had to be removed from the leadership team. You know, it's been a very challenging three years, we've had a lot of difficult decisions to make and uh, at times and, and powerful decisions to make. And through all of that, part of the focus is, you know, are we doing it with integrity? Are we thinking about not just the board and the shareholders, because those are, you know, very important people for obvious reasons, but are we also considering the ramifications of what we do when it comes to our employees, our customers, our partners, et cetera, and making sure that, you know, communication is really, really important. And we have a level of transparency here at our town halls, et cetera, that, that I'm proud of and that I believe is well appreciated by the, the organization. They know what's going on in the business. And I think that that's really important. Yes. You know, if I kind of summarize some of that, it sounds like in that service, what's really important when you talk about equality and integrity and and getting rid of the politics, the transparency is involvement, is involving all the employees and recognizing the humanity of these individuals that have something to offer. And so you talk about town halls and having those conversations. How else do you make sure that there's a high level of engagement and involvement in your in this culture in your company. So we're by no means um, have perfected this, but it's a continual work in process. But personally, for me, um, once a quarter, I also meet with each team without their leaders. So I give folks a chance to um, ask questions or give feedback. You know, what's working, what's not working. Some groups are are really vocal and have a lot to say. Others, I have to pry it out of them. (laughs) I force them to say something or at least ask me some questions so they know what's going on. Um, You know, we try to have a a good, consistent communication flow from the executive team, you know, flow through the organizations to directors and managers and individual contributors. That's something that we we do struggle with, you know, doing that in a consistent fashion, and it, but it is, it's important to us. So, you know, we do the, the town halls, we do, we've got a monthly newsletter that we send out that we get the get contribution from everybody in the organization, each department. I do my quarterly um, meetings with everybody and, and we also do the, you know, the usual employee engagement surveys. Oh, okay. So you do the surveys as well. So yeah, that's, so sometimes people look at this and go, well, yeah, Kim, that's easy because you're a 75 person company, but right. the principle of going down several levels and meeting with departments, doesn't matter if there's 10,000 people in the organization or 75. And what I'm hearing you say is spend some time to go down into the organization and talk to the people that are doing the work. Yeah. It's really not that hard. And I, I remember saying this, 
you know, at a previous company, we had 600 employees, which, you know, isn't huge, but it, you know, certainly larger. We were spread out over 12 floors in a building. And I remember saying to my CEO, come to my floor, <laughs> please walk through this floor yes. and show your face. And you don't have to talk too much, but just show your face and ask people what's going on and say hi. And I mean, you know, it literally we would have, um, you know, meetings would happen on the terrace, which was the top floor. And to get a couple of those folks to set foot on a different floor was you think we were asking them to cross a raging rapid or something. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that hard to do, even in an informal fashion. My door normally is always open. Uh, I chose a spot in the building when I took this job. The CEO's office is off to the side. The previous leader wanted that kind of privacy and confidentiality or whatever, which is fine. But I chose to sit in the middle of the building next to the kitchen because people have to walk by me or, you know, half the people have to walk by me from one half of the building, but I'm here in the middle and people can see the doors open. They can pop in and ask a question. And, you know, some people are really comfortable with that. Other people aren't comfortable with that. And I've come to accept that because everybody's different and not everybody feels like they can, you know, just walk into the CEO's office and say, Hey, I have a question. Um, I wish they all would, you know, and again, we can do that when we're 75 people or 80, about 83, I think now, but it's harder to do that when you do have a thousand people. But um, I think just, you know, where I sit and the fact that the doors open and that some people do um, take advantage of that, I think is a good thing because other others watch the fact that people are coming in, in and they're, oh my God, you just walked in and talked to Kim. You just asked a question. Yeah, I did. Of course. What's the big deal? So it's good for, for people to see that that's a possibility. Yeah, so what I hear you say is you, you've really thought out some of the details of this, not just formal things like the town meetings and the departmental quarterly meetings, but the informal part of it, the proximity of your office, keeping your door open and not looking like you're not approachable. And the message I'm hearing you say to executives, get out of your office. Yes. <laughs> Walk around. Yes. And, I can remember reading, uh, I think it was in, in Search of Excellence years ago when uh, Tom Peters talked about MBWA, management by wandering around. Mm -hmm. Get out of your freaking office <laughs> and go talk to people. Yep. Yeah. So it's not yep. a complicated uh, thing, but I think executives sometimes get too focused, like you said, on the numbers and the reports and the email and the external stuff with the stakeholders outside the building, including customers, all important. But our, our philosophy at Staterius in teaching leadership is inside out. Everything is inside yep. out. We work right. for the individual, then the employees, then the customers, then everybody else. That's right. And in that order. And, and you're living that. You're embodying it. So, uh, and it sounds like you watched a lot of leaders as you were growing up and made mental notes. Yeah, I want to be like that, and I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's say if we culminated some of this, put it all into a bucket. What are a couple of the things that you would have written to yourself if you said, dear Kim, and wrote yourself a letter and it goes back 20 years, what would you have told yourself? If I were to write it 20, if I write it now, I could write read it. Today. it You're going to write it today and you could read it 20 years ago. What advice would you have given to young Kim? Well, maybe don't, don't go 
that don't don't go don't go through that first marriage <laughs> or is that different you're asking no, you know, we've all made those mistakes <laughs> most of it at least 50 percent of us have in this country uh, have made that first mistake so i couldn't control myself on that one I um that's, God, that's a good question it's a hard question because i'm a very very different person today than i was 20 years ago so how could you have taken that and maybe i'll give you an example i was an engineer in manufacturing and i did not take the time to develop relationships enough i was great with the people that reported to me mm -hmm. wasn't so good with my peers and the leadership team and really developing yeah. those relationships and and asking you know in my 20s and 30s asking for more help in mentoring and coaching you know yep. i was i was not in that in that mental state i was trying to get the results within my area of responsibility and didn't broaden my relational uh, experience and really understand the importance of that when I was younger. That's what I would have written to myself. Yep. Yep. Okay. That meant, I get it. So um, I think I would have said, chill out. Um, <laughs> okay. As a younger individual contributor and as a manager, and, and that was one of the, you know, I always say I was a terrible first manager. I had a lot to learn about managing other people but you know nothing that i was doing was life-threatening and but it seemed like it at the time it seemed like it at the time everything was so important if there was a typo in a marketing material if there was a problem with the audio at a trade show or something the world was coming to an end right and, and i as i coach people today when i see them falling into that same kind of pattern and I've learned, you know, ways through some humor and, and storytelling to, to get them to understand because, you know, they're passionate and it's really about just being passionate. And I've always been passionate about my work, but, you know, you can be passionate about your work without it, you know, with just have a little bit, a little bit of perspective and, and kind of what's going on in the world. And what you see sometimes in leaders, I think, are people that haven't figured that out as they've gone up on through their career, that everything is not the end of the world, life-threatening, this is the most important thing to ever happen. And that's when you get the, the, the CEOs that throw things and scream and yell and whatever, because I have worked for some of those, and, and or, you know, just don't know how to handle difficult situations because you haven't learned, you didn't learn back when you were, you know, 27, that just because there was a typo in your piece of collateral that the whole world wasn't going to fall apart. Right. What are the consequences when you saw a CEO do that? What did that do to you and to the people around you when a CEO went ballistic? You lose all credibility, all mm. credibility. And you cannot be a leader if uh, literally just this week, somebody said to me, you know, don't forget, they don't have to like you, that, but they have to respect you. Right. And you know, all credibility goes out the window when, when you lose your mind briefly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for, you know, it, this is a really challenging time. And I'm not going to use the M word, Gary, because we don't want to go down that path. Okay. Yeah. But there are a lot of young, you know, younger folks in our company that this is their first job or their second job. And we know that the environment is different. And every decision that you make as a CEO that's visible is being critiqued. And, yes. and I remember doing it when I was, even as a vice president or, or as an individual contributor, what the heck is that person doing? I can't believe <laughs> right. that. What a dumb decision, right? And yep. you don't know, you do not have any idea, even as a chief marketing officer or an SVP of product management, as a member of a leadership team, you have no idea how hard it is 
to sit in the CEO's seat until you sit here. Right. Even though you think you do, because you've sat next to it for many, many years. I was on a leadership team for 11 years before I took this job. And I had an under, I had a belief that I knew more than I did about what went into some of the decisions that were being made. And because I was visible, I was, I had visibility into a lot of stuff that you really don't know how hard it is. And you get critiqued every single day by every single employee. And if you're going to take that too personally or, you know, not understand where it's coming from, that is not helpful for a leader and you're going to lose credibility. And that's the one thing that you have to have, I think, uh, you know, compassion and empathy and all that. But in terms of, you know, wanting your team to, to come with you at where you're going and, and, and being able to lead, you need to have that credibility. So Kim, you know, you've recognized in the last three years, you've become aware of more of all the things as a CEO that you didn't know when you were on the executive on the leadership team before. So if you were to go back and advise yourself, what could you have done better to understand where the CEO is coming from rather than judging the CEO about all the bad decisions they're making? What, what, sure. could, you, what could you do? Good question. Stop second guessing, first mm. of all. Um, know that there are things that you don't know, even though you're on the leadership team and you're privy to a lot of stuff. There's stuff that you don't know and stuff you'll never know. And uh. for that, you need to have a little, you're, you, you ask for some, a little bit of, of faith from your team. We need to provide that faith to the CEO. We need to provide that support to the CEO. We need to not second guess and wonder what the ulterior motive is or what I, we don't know, but right. just give this person some credit that they've right. earned this job that they're in. They're trusted by the, the board and, and everybody else that put them in this position and support them, support yeah. the CEO, have an understanding that you're never going to know everything and show a little faith that they're doing the best that they can with the information that they have to make the best decision for the business and the people in it. Which, oh, by the way, make the assumption that they have more information than you do, you know, because... That's true. That's right? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yep. I, I'll tell you, we, we learned this in the military. I mean, I was a commanding officer, but I had a colonel that I reported to, and it was very simple. And you've talked about this, having the transparency and the openness and the great leaders, even in the military, were like this, where you could speak your mind. And they wanted you to speak your mind. Right. And then when the decision was made there was only two words that the commanding officer wanted to hear from me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. and you go out and execute. And this is the difference though. It wasn't just yes, sir. It was a yes, sir with a complete 100% commitment to the final decision. And that's the way it had to be. If you couldn't do that, they would take you out of the job. Mm -hmm. And we're not as, as brutal with it in the business world as we're in the military. In the military, it was that way because of one fact. If you didn't execute with 100% commitment, somebody else was going to die. That right. meant that there was something mm -hmm. in the plan maybe I don't know about, and they're not telling me, but I was told to do this job. You go out and you do it. And there's always stuff that we don't know. And it's kind of like having that strong relationship within the executive team to build that le level of trust and faith that you're talking about. It's got to go both ways. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that's some great stuff, Kim. I, and I, I want to finish up with one last thing with you because I, it, it wouldn't be a podcast with Kim LeBeau if we didn't talk about dogs, cats, and bunnies. <laughs> you know, I, when, when, I, when I think about, again, service, you, you give service and you've uh, spent a good part of your time, effort, money, supporting some dogs, cats, and bunnies. Talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit. What, what richness that's brought to your life? Because I know that this is a real passion of yours. It is. It's, it's, uh, it's actually why, you know, why I work. I do have a, a, a vision for my life after corporate America that is focused on um, helping senior animals find forever homes, but it's very rewarding to be part of the rescue community, especially here in the Raleigh area. I I run an organization called Animal that is a a rescue collaborative. It's an education and foster center for animals. We work with about 30 different local rescue groups around here, like you said, uh, cats, dogs, rabbits, bird rescue as well. Mm. And there's just, there's a huge um, need out there. And like you, you, you were talking about, you know, when you don't make good decisions and, and, you know, lives are at stake, th- this is really something that is, um, life or death in, in many yeah. cases, it's life and death for, for animals. And, you know, they can't speak for themselves, obviously, which is mostly a good thing. Um, at least in my house, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they desperately need, you know, people to, to stand up for them. And it's been re- super rewarding. And, you know, it's just a, a great experience to be able to work with the groups here in the area and, and help all kinds of animals, shape, sizes, breeds, and everything find loving homes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I, uh, one of the things I love about these podcasts is getting to hear about those things that leaders doing outside of the job every day and helping the community in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that I've heard is how we take care of our pets is a reflection of our society. It absolutely is. And I believe that. And uh, the generosity and the kindness um, that we show to the, the, the dogs and cats are, are, is just amazing. And quite frankly, I have to say that uh, that's all nice, but your bunnies scare me. You know, <laughs> they should scare you. Kim's got some killer bunnies and uh, you don't mess with them. The dogs, the, he's got 50, 80 pound dogs, no problem. But a, a 10 pound bunny, it'll rip your head off. I'll tell you, it's like holy grail. <laughs> They're great. Well, Kim, I really appreciate your time today and your leadership wisdom. And as I've said, the path that I took in life, I would not recommend to anyone. I have a feeling that you would probably say the same, but it's Mm -hmm. been a fun path and uh, what you've learned and what you've shared today has been great stuff. And as we move forward with this podcast, I hope that as we look at some other themes and tough decisions that are made and other things that we're going to be looking at, maybe I'll have you on again someday. That'd be great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gary. All right, Kim. Thank you. This is Dr. Gary, making good bosses out of great leaders with compassionate accountability on today's podcast with Kim LeBeau of MedFusion and leading from the front. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. 
Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.